Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jackie T, writer and romantic. Welcome to the A Romantic in Kansas special features. In this series, I present a feature subject and celebrate stories and fun facts around it. This episode is recorded out of 712 Innovations in downtown Topeka, Kansas. For this feature, the Midnight Train. Oh yes, exploring the romance of train travel and how it touched our lives from early years to modern day. Gotta love our sponsors. You will hear about each of them during this program. They contribute to the A Romantic in Kansas story. Upcoming in this episode, I reflect on my arriving to Kansas via the midnight train. I present fun facts behind trains in our history and explore passenger train options in modern day. I visit with Bruce Eveland, owner of the Kansas Bell Dinner Train, regarding revisiting the train travel heyday. Ready? Here goes! Firstly, here is my vignette regarding how I arrived to Kansas via the midnight train. I stood on the train platform at Union Station, downtown Chicago, my bow at my side to see me off. I had a ticket to Lawrence, Kansas, departing at 3 p.m., scheduled to arrive at 11.52 p.m., close enough to say that I'd arrive via the midnight train to the first stop on my signature writer-in-residence expedition, this to travel and write, mainly to be at the destinations I feature as I write about them. Maiden destination, Kansas, as, at the time, my beloved and most trusted editor who worked with me on one of my novels, lived in Lawrence. The plan for the expedition was to explore the Sunflower State and to begin in the Northeast region where my editor lived so we could initiate in person working on the novel. Then I'd embark on the expedition. I chose train travel for my voyage to Kansas. Train travel is always my favorite choice of travel. By the time I arrived to Union Station, I anticipated an additional purpose. I needed to utilize it as a passage to the expedition. I stood on the platform with all the luggage I'd packed for an open-ended journey. I had chosen my travel outfit, as I do for all travel. Today I wore a black and white polka dot dress and red patent leather heels to go with it. My beau and I arrived minutes before the train was to depart. We had little time to bid adieu. Trains don't wait. They run by schedule. The train I was to board was the Southwest Chief. Its route originated in Chicago en route all the way to LA. If it had delays along the way, the engineer might make up for it via upcoming stretches. Yet delays were avoided whenever possible and waiting for passengers was not an acceptable delay. The conductor stood nearby, politely, as the departure minute approached. My beau gave me a kiss and embrace. I boarded the train, light in my step. The Southwest Chief started to move while I found my seat. I felt the smooth motion of the train as it started to pick up pace. The expedition had officially begun. After months of work and planning, of organizing connections and connecting details, I was on my way to Kansas for the first time. I didn't know what I was in for other than exploration of a new frontier. That was always welcome. 
Everything up to this point was about making the expedition happen, and here was why the choice of train travel was especially divine. Now I could emotionally transition. I was familiar with train travel. Being originally from Minnesota, I oft took the train, the Empire Builder, from Chicago back to my home state. The ride to Minneapolis was a little under eight hours. The new route via the Southwest Chief would take a little under nine. I knew that I could anticipate feeling the motion of the train along the tracks. I could make dinner reservations at the dining car. I could wander to the lounge car to behold the panoramic view of the passing landscape. I could get a glass of wine and mingle with people or stage myself. I did a little of each. I mingled a while, talked on the phone with my darling to touch base, and wrote a while. At night, the passing landscape disappeared into the darkness and reappeared when the train entered the streetlights of towns we passed. Sometime after 10, the Southwest Chief entered into a rainstorm. Rainfall streamed over the windows and the train whooshed through the heavy downfall. Another way to love rainstorms. I felt inspired in my writing and all the more anticipatory. The conductor came through to announce the delay in schedule. I texted my editor, who was to meet me at the station. The train entered the Lawrence Station around 12.25, still within the realm of the midnight train. I stepped foot on the platform. By now, the downpour had subsided to a drizzle. My editor stood among a small crowd awaiting the deboarding passengers. He set his umbrella aside when he saw the extent of my luggage. Gentleman that he was, he took to loading the heavy pieces. Hefting is more specific. He did so while asking how was my trip. Yet once the car was packed and we were en route, he joked about my largest piece of luggage. I think you have a dead body in there, he said. I laughed at his levity in the situation and gave no other reply. Yet to myself, I nodded that I indeed packed a lot, and though there was no dead body, this merely proved my knack for stuffing a piece of luggage to an impressive maximum. My first accommodations were a guest room in my editor and his wife's home. Next was to reside at a local guest ranch and after that an artist's retreat a bit west. When I arrived in Kansas, I was soaring with delight. I had wonderful adventures ahead and a beau who inspired every part of my romantic being. He and I talked every day for the first couple weeks. Yet then he disappeared, not calling, not returning calls, nor texts, nor emails. I had to chase him down to find out he broke up with me. He finally returned a call on my birthday to let me know. And this soaring girl crashed, nose first, to the hard earth. In retrospect, I realized that within the whirlwind of my bringing writer-in-residence expedition to be, I did not pause to ask him how he was faring over this. I did consider it amid all the stir, yet sensed no alarm. All along, he had been supportive about the expedition, offering advice from his business experience in working with sponsors, telling me what he knew about Kansas. He had been to Lawrence. He made me laugh at every turn. He expressed his love for the lady in me. He encouraged me to pursue the radio aspect of my romantics platform. 
We were like a newlywed couple and an old married couple at the same time. All the while, the writer-in-residence expedition was on the schedule. I thought about pausing for a conversation to ask how he felt about it all, yet treated it as an unnecessary delay. After all, he was acting so very all right about this, and I needed my time and energy for the expedition. That said, I knew men, enough to know that they don't volunteer that something is wrong. Most of them just don't. That didn't pertain to my fella, right? He seemed fine all the way to departure. The skies ahead between us seemed fair, and even after I left the station, he had every means of communication to forewarn me. Yet he didn't. Instead, he deserted me, and didn't even have the fortitude to let me know. Until that morning, finally returning a call on my birthday. I was stunned. I was devastated. At the same time, I understood my part in it all. Yet a woman wants a man who will fight for her. I understood that too. And now I understood he wasn't that man. That was of little consolation in trying to survive this heartbreak. It was at best knowledge that I might grasp later. A woman wants a man who will fight for her. A woman needs a hero. In the meantime, she needs to keep being a heroine. And I remained one as I struggled to get back on track, per se, back on route. And I did to explore Kansas and to move forward with my goals and dreams. Gotta love our sponsors, including... Visit Liberal. Liberal, Kansas is the official hometown of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Here you may visit Dorothy's home and the Land of Oz open all year round. Liberal is also the home of the Mid-America Air Museum, one of the largest air museums in the United States, exhibiting an extensive collection of airplanes, helicopters, and memorabilia. In Liberal, you may also visit the Baker Arts Center, proudly known as the Cultural Oasis on the Prairie. Come for annual events, for example, the famous International Pancake Day Race or OzFest. Enjoy a fine selection of restaurants, most of them locally owned. Stay for a while. Liberal has plenty of lodging from which to choose. For more information, link to visitliberal.com. This A Romantic in Kansas special feature series is available on the Jackie T. Detour section of my website, A Romantic's Perspective, and via Jackie T. Detours on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, and tis available via the Wren Internet Radio website, wrendigitalmedia.com. You know, when I embraced the concept of arriving to Kansas via the midnight train, I love that it reflects the 24-7 aspect of train travel and that a train could be pulling into a station at the top hour of night to deliver anticipators like me. 
that's the nature of rail travel. Tis grounded to tracks that weave across the landscape and routed to depots that open doors to passengers arriving and departing. There are songs and cinema that celebrate the train experience. Some of these might sound familiar. For example, Johnny Cash sings about trains in Folsom Prison Blues and the Rock Island Line. Arlo Guthrie sings about the City of New Orleans train and Bob Dylan sings about the slow train. And here's one. I first heard it from the movie The Blues Brothers. The song is titled She Caught the Katie. The main lyrics are, she caught the Katie and left me a mule to ride. For years, I sang along with this when I listened to the CD, (laughs) and each time I furled my brow. She caught the Katie? I wonder if t'was a kind of idiom that I was missing out on, or perhaps caught the Katie was a jilted lover's phrase that I just didn't know about, yet I wasn't sure until I started research for this episode. A friend suggested I check into trains that used to come through this area. He mentioned the KT. Check it out, he said, K-A-T-Y. So I did, to find out that the KT was a train established in 1865 under the Union Pacific Railway Southern Branch. It became known as the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railway and endearingly was called the KT for the KT initials on the railway stock exchange symbol. And soon it was recognized under the name KT spelled K-A-T-Y. It was a standard passenger train for the area it served long enough to be featured on this song that became a blues standard. She Caught the Katie was written by Taj Mahal and James Rachel and first recorded in 1968. It was performed via the Blues Brothers and by artists including Albert King and modern rock bands like Fish and Widespread Panic. And now, she caught the Katie. I know what it means. What fun. Another fun song on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. That celebrates the rail line named for the hub points, Atchison and Topeka here in Kansas and Santa Fe. That was a huge part of passengers' experiences, especially during the train travel golden day. This song was performed by classic crooners, including Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, and big bands like Tommy Dorsey's had great fun with this. And so did Judy Garland when she performed this song on the movie The Harvey Girls that came out in 1942. I interviewed an expert to learn that the Harvey girls were true-to-life women who worked on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. The interview is coming up yet first. Gotta love our sponsors, including the Grand Central Hotel. Grand Central Hotel is located just off National Scenic Byway 177 in Cottonwood Falls, the county seat of Chase County in the heart of the Flint Hills. Make reservations to dine in the hotel's Grand Grill restaurant to enjoy the best steaks in Kansas, all in a fine dining experience with a relaxed atmosphere. 
The hotel is a boutique hotel with a Western flair. Overnight accommodations include elegant suites named for local historic ranches. For more information, visit GrandCentralHotel.com. In this upcoming phone interview, I took some of what I learned about the Atchison, Topeka and Santa Fe Railroad and the Amtrak train, the Southwest Chief, and learned how they're connected from early on to today. Here it is. Okay, I am here with Evan Stair, President of Passenger Rail Kansas and Passenger Rail Oklahoma. Hi, Mr. Stair. How are you? Okay, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am really looking forward to talking trains with you. When I think of trains, I think of the song on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. And I understand that that's originally from the movie The Harvey Girls. Now, who are the Harvey Girls? Well, the Harvey girls essentially were employed by the Fred Harvey Corporation. Fred Harvey was a proper English gentleman from Liverpool who was appalled by the conditions of eating houses along the Western Railroads. He had eaten in many of the establishments, and, and uh, essentially the Harvey girls were employed by Fred Harvey and his corporation to civilize rail travel in the West. Okay, this was in the mid-1800s? Yeah, in the mid to late, I don't know the exact date, but mm -hmm. uh, at that time there were no diner cars, there were no sleeping cars, and passengers would be shuffled off the train, go into a restaurant, uh, which is probably a ramshackle shack, and eat cold food, some of it possibly even served to the last train that, that came through. Oh, wow. Okay, so he started with opening restaurants along the routes, and then the Harvey girls were the waitresses? Yes, and in fact, uh, the Harvey girls not only were waitresses, but at many locations, there were dorms where they stayed. They weren't allowed to wear makeup. They had uh, ankle-length black dresses and white aprons. <laughs> and that's the typical stereotype, if you will, of a Harvey girl. And uh, many of the Harvey girls wound up marrying Santa Fe Railway employees. That's great. So initially, Mr. Harvey and his Harvey girls' restaurants and, and locations were along the Santa Fe route? Right. He, he established a contract with the Atchison Topeka and Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. And basically, the railroad built the restaurants or the hotels eventually. And Fred Harvey provided service and kept the facilities up. And it was a mutually beneficial relationship. Harvey and his Harvey girls uh, helped to attract passengers to the West. And, and mm -hmm. tourism was big with Fred Harvey. Wow. Okay. And this is all so romantic, thinking of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. At the prime time, or the golden days, I guess, where did the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe serve? But generally, the roads serve out of Chicago in the southwestern part of the country. Mm. And, uh, of course, Cyrus K. Holliday, who founded the railroad, his purpose and the, the reason it's called the Santa Fe Railway is that it paralleled the Santa Fe Trail. Oh. And its initial aspirations were just to reach Santa Fe, but once they reached Santa Fe, it continued on into California and on south into Texas. And so did it make it to Santa Fe? Because I've read somewhere that it came close but didn't actually have a stop in Santa Fe. Well, 
problem with uh, trying to reach Santa Fe was is that the grades over mountains to the east of Santa Fe would not allow direct access. So what happened was there's a little town named Laney, New Mexico. And once the Santa Fe reached Laney, it built a branch line directly to Santa Fe. Mm. But at that time, the railroad already had aspirations on California. It was doing so well. Mm -hmm. So it continued on to California. Wow. Now that's what the Southwest Chief is doing. I arrived from Chicago and made it as far as Lawrence, Kansas. Now, is that a direct descendant of this line that we're talking about? The Southwest Chief can trace its route, uh, roots back mm-hmm. to the Super Chief, which was a Chicago to Los Angeles all Pullman train. It started in the early 1930s. Okay, so the Southwest Chief comes from the Super Chief, and there was a El Capitan, there were some other versions. Were they related? The Santa Fe operated more than one train between Chicago and Los Angeles on the same route. Mm-hmm. And the El Capitan was an all coach as opposed to all Pullman passenger train that really ran as a second section of the Super Chief. But while the Super Chief and the El Capitan were express trains, mm-hmm. you had locals such as the Green Canyon that would stop at every little point along the line. And it took much longer to go from Chicago all the way to Los Angeles. Wow. It sounds like there was such a demand for passenger service. And now we have the Amtrak in the Southwest Chief coming through here. Right. The only passenger train that serves Kansas today is the Southwest Chief. Speaking of that, as the Southwest Chief is one of the main passenger trains here in the United States, even a few years ago when I was arriving in Lawrence, I learned that there was some struggle to keep the Southwest Chief going in this part of Kansas. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. We have to start back with the signature on a piece of legislation that really transformed U.S. transportation in general. When President Eisenhower signed the National Defense and Interstate Highway Act of 1956, he basically socialized transportation in the United States. And it was a death blow by a million stabs that continues today. The railroads have had to compete since 1956 with publicly subsidized roads and aviation. So Amtrak was conceived in 1970, 1971, and the trouble with the Southwest Chief staying on its route and actually surviving has been due to a change in the railroad industry. Uh, There were countless railroad carriers that have merged and purged track over the years, and now we're down to just seven Class 1 railroads. And the merger that really endangered the Southwest Chief was the Santa Fe Burlington Northern merger that created the BNSF Railway. What that did was it took a secondary main line that the Southwest Chief operates over and moved traffic to a different line that is used exclusively for freight. And the Southwest Chief depended upon the route west of Newton. And what happened is the BNSF Railway has deferred maintenance between Newton in Albuquerque, and track conditions got to the point where it looked like the train would be discontinued. Fortunately, Garden City, uh, Hunta, Colorado have gone into track rehabilitation, so that route is um, as safe as a route can be today. Mm-hmm. 
I'm really interested in this because I want more people to discover passenger train travel. I believe a lot more people need to experience this. Now, what may people do to help maintain and maybe even save passenger trains today? The first thing to do is get a ticket to ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a train, experience a train service, see how it's different than driving or flying. There are differences that are surprising to first-time riders. And mm-hmm. Second, get involved locally and understand how the levels of government interact. It can be as simple as talking to your city councilor and say, hey, you know, we need more passenger rail service. That city councilor holds a lot more weight with state legislators in Congress when they voice a need for a service that maybe a state legislator or congressman hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. So essentially demand more service. Right. Oh, wonderful. I like that. What are some sources that people can find to keep apprised of what's going on? We have websites, uh, PassengerRailOK.org and PassengerRailKS.org. We are sister organizations, and we have a Passenger Rail Oklahoma and Passenger Rail Kansas Facebook pages as well. Oh, wonderful. That is great. And really, folks, check these out, sign up, get connected, and stay apprised, and (laughs) get a ticket to ride. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stair also welcomes questions via email at sfrr for Santa Fe Railroad at aol.com. That's sfrr at aol.com. Coming next, a couple train fun facts in my interview with Mr. Eveland of the Kansas Bell Dinner Train. Yet first... Gotta love our sponsors, including... Wheat State Wine Company. Wheat State Wine Company in South Central Kansas offers engaging wines in a variety of selections to accommodate your taste. Try white wines like their Dandy Horse Vidal Blanc, red wines like their Ad Astra, a Chambersine and Norton Grey blend, or their Red Bud Rosé. Wheat State is open weekends year-round for wine tastings and tours of the winery and vineyard. During warm weather seasons, Wheat State hosts a scheduled outdoor Uncork the Music series. Select your favorite wine at the winery, ask for it at your favorite wine shop, or order online. For detailed information, visit WheatStateWineCo.com. A couple interesting facts behind trains. 1. Horsepower. The origin of the term horsepower is weaved in train history. In the late 1700s, Scottish inventor and engineer James Watt had improved on the early steam engine to create the Watt steam engine. This was proposed to be used in mines in place of horses to pull loads. Now, to help make sense of how useful this was, Mr. Watt calculated how much power a single draft horse could produce over a specified period of time and dubbed it horsepower to indicate how many horses his engine could replace. The measurement was also used in the early 1800s when he invented the first steam locomotive to indicate how powerfully his engine could replace horses pulling loads along the railways of the day. The term was adopted throughout the years to measure other power engines and motors and is used to modern day. 
Another fun fact, train horns. Train horns are set on chimes or musical notes. Most train horns today are set on a three chime or five chime, meaning they combine three or five horns, each at different notes to make the train chord or the ultimate sound we hear when the train horn blows. Each chime is a musical note. For example, the horn on the Southwest Chief Trains is a five chime with notes D sharp, F sharp, G sharp, B, and D sharp. The result? It resonates something like this. By rule of the Federal Rail Administration, locomotive engineers are required to sound the horn 15 seconds before reaching a crossing and to sound it at a standard pattern of two long, one short, and one long blast. Each special feature includes an interview with one of our co-sponsors. This episode interview is about getting a ticket to ride to the train heyday, and also how an excursion train like this is fabulous for the passengers and for the local community. Here it is. Okay, I am here with Bruce Eveland, the owner of Kansas Bell Dinner Train in Baldwin City, and he may tell us a lot about trains. Hi, Mr. Eveland. Good afternoon. Glad to be here, and, and uh, hopefully we can impart a little information that's of interest to everybody. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to this. So I just talked about taking the train, and these days the passenger train is the Amtrak. That, that's correct. And, uh, of course, as a lot of people know, it's, it's somewhat limited in its routes, but if you ever have a chance to go somewhere and can get there by train, it's certainly a very fun and interesting way to travel. Oh, yeah. That's my choice of travel is train travel. During the train heyday, which the Kansas Bell reflects, uh, it was a different story. There were lots of choices, and train travel was the main passenger travel choice during, what, 1940s? Well, no question about it. Technically, 1944 was the peak year. Uh, it's during World War II when more people rode the trains in this country than any other year in this nation's history. Uh, you probably need to back up maybe into the 1920s as far as an ongoing basis. World War II, of course, the train was, was one of the only ways to uh, honestly travel any distance at all because of gas rationing, tire rationing that we had. Planes were in their infancy, and uh, trains did travel with a lot of frequency. You own the Kansas Bell Dinner Train, and what made you decide to start working with trains and, and present this? Well, half-jokingly, I got involved with, with some other people, and we put the train operation together. This goes back to October of 1988 when we actually started with the operation in Fremont, Nebraska. And it was really a thought at that point in time that I wanted to do something other than sit on a tractor the rest of my life. So you, so you chose not the tractor, but what about trains? How well, I, I've always loved trains. I like train travel. Um, this was a chance to really put a vocation with an avocation mm -hmm. at the same time. Okay. And you started in Nebraska. Correct. We were there for basically 24 years and uh, operated on a line that had been uh, up for abandonment. At that point in time, a group formed that uh, was a, a nonprofit historical society that actually bought the line. We 
ultimately contracted with them to provide an engine and crew to move our cars up and down the line. So we operated as a for-profit business on a non-profit railroad. Okay. You came to Baldwin, Baldwin City? Well, we, we basically had to shut down operations up there in, the, in October of 2012, and it was largely due to the deterioration that had occurred on the track. We had a choice to make of either shutting down or moving, and we decided that if we could find the right location, we'd like to continue the operation. Uh, we did get arrangements worked out with the Midland Railway, which is in Baldwin City, Kansas, mm-hmm. also a historical society. Uh, a nonprofit 5013C group since 1987 has done excursion trains, which are the train rides with a lot of different types of activities. We have much the same arrangement with the Midland Railway. They actually pull our cars up and down their track. So there's, a, I think, a win-win scenario for all of us in that arrangement. And you have four cars. Correct. And they, they all are done up a little bit differently. You basically start with some of these cars that operate on technology that goes back into the 1940s, which where most of these cars were built, uh, having to redo electrical systems, plumbing systems, heat and air conditioning systems. And then you start in with the decor from there that you will ultimately want on these cars. Yes, and the decor for your dining cars reflect the train heyday. Yeah, I think definitely that. I mean, our our emphasis probably uh, maybe even exceeds that 1940s period a little bit, but each car has a different look and a different theme to it. So we we purposely have different color schemes and different drapery treatments that we've done in each of the cars uh, with the idea in mind that it's kind of fun for people sometimes to come back and potentially ride in a different car Mm -hmm. and experience a little different type of decor. And can you give an example of one of the four cars? Well, our most used car is called Maple Creek, and the cars are all basically named for waterways. Uh, It happens to be a creek that we ran over uh, when we were in Fremont, Nebraska. But the three of the four cars are Canadian-built cars, and we know there's a Maple Creek also in Canada. Uh, We put a lot of emphasis into that car with heavy red treatment. The carpet uh, in there is, is red. The curtains are a red velvet. And this is a car that we like to use for a lot of the theater types of events that we put on. So it's set up with with speaker systems uh, with the idea in mind that we want to be able to project sound throughout uh, very adequately. Oh, I like that. And in this springtime, summertime, fall, can you kind of lay out the general performances or events throughout the calendar? We were talking a little bit before we started the interview about Thomas the Tank Engine, which will come in early June. Um, one of the shows that we're going to be doing actually in May will be an old-time radio show that we want to have some fun with. Mm -hmm. It's going to be done by one of our mystery groups, but will encompass some chapters of a mystery genre. I don't know whether it's going to be the Green Hornet or what, but Mm -hmm. they'll mix that in. We're going to do some, uh, some music, some skits. We'll even cut in with some news from the war front. (laughs) <laughs> uh, as part of that particular show. So that's oh. that's one we're really excited about that we've been wanting to do for a long, long time. Okay. And um, in the autumn, would you have some special events coming up as well? Uh, we do. Uh, we'll be doing our annual bourbon run that you and I were talking about a little oh, while yeah. ago <laughs> that's done in the, in the early fall period, uh, something that we co-host with one of the wholesalers. 
where we do some heavy hors d'oeuvres and they have live music on the train. You can actually go out to a location with a campfire. So um, upcoming very soon, uh, we'll be doing another one of our wine tasting dinners, which we'll also probably do again in the fall, Mm -hmm. blending a five-course evening dinner with a number of uh, wines. Uh, The upcoming one will be a Spanish wine tasting. All these events just sound so wonderful and memorable, very memorable. And let's talk about the depot. People board from the depot? Yeah, we're very fortunate out there in that Baldwin City was able to preserve its historic 1906 brick depot. Uh, It has been been renovated and uh, climate controlled. And for us, it's, it's just a big, big plus where people can actually come uh, have it as a holding area for people that are going to be riding the train. And uh, the, the city actually helped us a great deal with a grant application that was through Midland Railway, technically, and the city, where they extended the brick platform, and we got a nice, nice canopy built over the platform as well. So it, by our standards, is something very, very classy that we're very proud of and very thankful to the city of, of Baldwin yeah. for helping underwrite the cost of this. So you're downtown Baldwin City, and what's the population of Baldwin City? Baldwin City is about 4,500 people, and it's the home of Baker University, and it's a, it's a fun town. Uh, it's where I happen to live, <laughs> and uh, for a farm boy, it was kind of it's nice to feel the, the comforts of the city. It's been very positive. Yeah, it's so 4,500 people, and throughout a year, about how many people ride the Kansas Bell dinner train? Uh, Last year, I think we were at about 5,700 people, and then I think our counterpart, Midland Railway, I believe was up uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15,000 people. Mm -hmm. Together, it represents in excess of a a million dollars of revenue that comes into the town, so it's well thought of, I think, within the community in terms of what it's doing Mm -hmm. to help generate some economic vitality. And you're preserving history. People can walk into history when they board one of your trains. There's no question about that, and I think there's a fascination with a lot of people because Americans as a whole, uh, you'll find that probably at least half or more of the people that we take out on a train run have never been on a train in their life, and I think it's worth mentioning that you'll see a lot of older people, uh, particularly that will be out there. Grandma and Grandpa, Mm -hmm. when the kids ask them what they would like for their birthday, it is not unusual that they will tell them, I'd like to go ride that train. Okay, Um, Grandma and Grandpa probably grew up riding trains. Yes, yeah. And this is something they want to do while they're still still uh, with us. And the dinner train is what goes on this track. How, how long is the track? Uh, basically, we operate on about 11 miles of track. Okay. And they do have that experience when they board that the train actually does move, um, move from the station. So while they're having dinner and being entertained, they are on a moving train and able to look out the window and enjoy the experience. So you offer memorable events for groups. And of course, it's romantic. It's a great date for people. So talk about the Kansas Bell as a date. Okay. Well, we have that formats on the train. Always it would be what we call our regular or open dining format where we can put people at a table for two. Mm -hmm. And some people that are wanting to come out and have a very intimate type of dinner, this is a good fit. They get to listen to the music of the 40s. They get to meander into the lounge car if they want to. What a great date for a fellow if he really wants to impress a lady. And I will tell you that over the years, we've had a lot of people get engaged out there. This is not unusual at all. Um, 
Interestingly, we've had couples that have gotten engaged on the train that have then come back and done either a wedding or wedding and dinner following that uh, initial engagement. That's a great idea, and how, what a great memory. What a great story to talk about how you got engaged. Okay, and for groups, how do people take advantage of the Kansas Bell? Well, different types of groups. We have certainly social groups. Um, we have business groups that uh, maybe for a seminar or a social outing, as the case may be, mm-hmm. that will take advantage of the train. Um, we have group discounting that we certainly do, and if the group is of a large enough size, we will probably talk to them about taking over an entire car and, and being able to do their own thing. Oh, wow, that's great. Where are you located in Kansas? Well, geographically, we're not too far removed from the Kansas City area. Uh, we're about 20 miles southwest of the metro area. We would be about 15 miles southeast of Lawrence, if, if that would help some of you triangulate a little bit where Baldwin City is located. Great. If people are driving through and they, they want to come to Baldwin City, maybe for the first time, what, what's the nearest highway? Um, the last little leg to get into Baldwin City is a two-lane highway, which is Highway 56. So really accessible. Very easy. Yeah, it, it really is. Most of it is uh, probably four-lane driving for people uh, that, are, that are coming in. Okay. When people arrive, they will definitely feel a classic train experience um, at the Kansas Bell dinner train. Hopefully it is, it is for people, a, a time warp, that we want to have people come and, and experience train travel in an evening that is reminiscent of that period of time. I like that. You said time warp. I think that's a perfect analogy for this. And we talked about events that you have throughout the year. Now, people may go to your website to see your calendar. Well, and that's a good point. Uh, KansasBell.com would be the website. And on there, you can see pictures of what we look like. We've even included some beginning and finish pictures of some of the cars. We obviously keep our schedule and the options that exist on a given run. Okay, great. So KansasBell.com for all your information. And what's the phone number if people want to call? 800-942-RAIL. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you, Mr. Eveland. This is just fantastic what you're offering with this Kansas Bell dinner train, and it's great that, uh, to let people know about it and tell them to come out and have a romantic time. Okay, so Baldwin City, go to the downtown depot and go back in time on the Kansas Bell dinner train. Thank you. Thank you. I'll revisit with Mr. Eveland in a few minutes regarding one of my favorite words related to trains. Yet first, I want to mention places where you may get glimpses of the train experience on display. Here are a few train museums in Kansas. The Kansas Historical Society in Topeka has the oldest surviving locomotive from the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway on display. The steam locomotive number 132 was built in the 1880s. See it restored to its original glory. This area of the museum also includes two train cars and a display case featuring Kansas train history and the Harvey House dining services. For more information, call 785-272-8681. 
and the old prairie town in the Ward Mead Historic District in Topeka. Here, you may walk into a 1910 train depot that was actually relocated from Pauline, Kansas. For more information, call 785-251-6989. And the Rock Island Depot in Liberal, Kansas. The original depot here had burned down in 1911. This depot was built in 1912 in Spanish Mission style. The Liberal Rock Island Station was the last passenger train stop on the Rock Island route from Chicago. This museum is part of the Rock Island Complex today, and here you'll see an original baggage cart, an original Ticketmaster desk, China from dining cars, and photos. And you may also sit on outside benches to observe present-day freight trains go by. For more information, ask for Lydia Hook Gray at 620-626-6100. And the Great Plains Transportation Museum in Wichita. I had the pleasure of interviewing on the phone Harvey Kane regarding what's going on here. And I learned not only about the fabulous displays, yet also what a great resource this museum and museums like it may be. Listen in. Okay, I'm here with J. Harvey Kane, President of the Board of Directors of the Great Plains Transportation Museum in Wichita, Kansas. He's also a volunteer there. Hello, Mr. Kane. Hello. A few questions regarding the Great Plains Transportation Museum. When did it open? We opened our doors to the public in December 1986. Okay, and who are the people who began the museum? There were five or six of us that did the incorporation. Uh, two of us are still with the museum. Some of the others are no longer with the museum, either because they're deceased or dropped out. Mm -hmm. But two of us uh, original incorporators that are still there. Okay. What are some of the highlights that visitors may look forward to? We have the uh, largest steam locomotive on display in Kansas at our site. It's a 484 former Santa Fe Northern locomotive. We have a former Santa Fe diesel electric locomotive and we have several cabooses. We have some other locomotives and some rolling stocks. So we have static displays outdoors and then indoors we have railroad related artifacts uh, and maps and photographs and diagrams. Okay. The caboose and the locomotives, are these things people can actually go in and look at the interior as well? Yes. Uh, you can get in the locomotive cab of the steam locomotive, the diesel electric. We have a couple small industrial locomotives, uh, one of which is uh, disassembled now for some major repair. And then we have a diesel electric switch engine, and we have three cabooses that are available to get into and look around. Oh, wonderful. And also indoors, you have a gift shop. Yes, we do. And what are some of the items in the gift shop? We have mugs, caps, kids' toys, Railroad pins, hat pins, lapel pins, and the like. Those are our primary things we have. We also have postcards and some books, some new, some used, quite a few uh, used books that have been donated to us that we're selling as time goes along. Okay, and when you say caps, you mean engineer caps? Engineer caps for adults, for kids, uh, pink and white striped caps for girls, <laughs> and then we have uh, some baseball caps that are museum related. Okay, and for those pink caps, do you have them in adult sizes too? I don't know if we presently have any adult sizes. <laughs> I'd like a pink engineer's cap. 
What are the museum hours? We're open Saturdays year-round from 9 to 4, and Sundays, April through October, we're also open from 1 to 4, mm -hmm. except Easter Sunday. We're closed on Easter Sundays. Okay. And you're also available for reserved tours. Yes. Generally, those tours are for groups, and mm -hmm. if somebody's available mm -hmm. to do that. And group tours for uh, school groups, Boy Scout groups, uh, anything like that. And adult groups, too. We've done those. Okay, yes. So we were talking earlier, and you said that the museum is also available for events, like birthday parties or things like that. Birthday parties, an occasional uh, wedding reception. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so you have special events, and also you do speaking engagements for people who are interested. Yes, uh, civic groups and uh, interested historical groups will sometimes contact us for a speaking engagement, and I'm usually the speaker that goes, and my primary thing when I go do a speaking engagement is on Kansas Railroad Depots. The museum is 100% volunteer-run. Who are the volunteers? There are some of those that are in, still in the working world, and several of our volunteers are retired. Um, we do have some volunteers that are railroad connected, but otherwise it's people that are interested in trains and railroads. Okay. And then for folks who want to know more and learn more about the museum, what may they do? They can go to our website, uh, gptm.us, and see what's there. And if there's some more information they need, there's a link at the bottom to send an email to info at gptm.us and they can ask questions and someone will answer. Okay, that just sounds wonderful. Thank you, Mr. Kane, for all the information. You're welcome and thank you very much. Shortly after this interview, Mr. Kane informed me that their purchasing agents ordered pink engineer caps in ladies' sizes and they will be available in the museum gift shop soon. Oh, yes. Okay, it behooves me to bring up this wonderful term that has origins in train history. The term, highball. It's a cocktail and it has its own glass. It is also a familiar reference to folks on the run today. Bruce Eveland, owner of the Kansas Bell Dinner Train, describes the highball origin. What's behind the name highball? Well, you want to start with the background of what highball means. It's the earliest of the railroad signaling systems. And it basically, you had a rope that went between two pulleys and there was a ball that was fastened to the rope. The operator at a given station would raise the ball into various positions for an approaching train. If the ball was all the way up to the top, it meant for the train to proceed at regular speed. If the ball was in the middle position, it indicated to proceed with caution at a reduced speed. If the ball was all the way to the bottom, it indicated that the engineer needed to stop the train. Now, the term has morphed from there, and today the term is still used by train crews. Uh, typically, the conductor or the rear brakeman may radio to the engineer, let's highball, and that is an indication that it is okay to proceed with the train, let's get going, let's get out of the station. So let's highball is commonly what they'll say. Now, a famous drink on the train uh, is typically known as a highball, which is a bourbon-based drink that people could order. And we were talking earlier, the highball has a special glass. 
Well, typical of a lot of the glassware that we have on the train has a very heavy base to it for the obvious reason that a train is moving down the track. It's swaying. Sometimes we'll get a much more abrupt stop than we like, and you don't want things to go flying. Uh, but very heavy, and, and again, for the obvious reason, you want these products to hold the linens on the table and not be sliding all around or tipping over. A highball cocktail is made basically with your favorite whiskey or bourbon over ice. Add club soda or ginger ale to taste. The highball glass is a tall, narrow glass with a heavy bottom. This so, if you're enjoying one in the dining car or the train lounge while the train highballs it, your cocktail doesn't topple over. By the by, highball is one of the feature entries on the Love for Words area of my website, aromanticsperspective.com. Cheers! A Kansas Fact Moment How many listeners know what is the Kansas State bird? Tis the Western Meadowlark. This is a member of the Blackbird family. It has beautiful plumage with brown, black, and white spotted wings and a vivid yellow breast with a black V-shaped band at the neck. It's about 9 inches long and weighs about 4 ounces. The western meadowlark has a flute-like voice. We are listening to it now in the background, thanks to allaboutbirds.org. It thrives in prairie land and is so popular, tis the state bird for Kansas and five other states, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oregon, and Wyoming. Gotta love our sponsors, including the Kansas Bell Dinner Train in Baldwin City. All aboard the Kansas Bell Dinner Train. Enter the heyday of train travel. Oh yes, be seated in a 1940s dining car ambiance. Behold entertainment reflective of the era. For example, live music or audience participation shows like murder mysteries and melodramas. Dine in style with five-course Saturday evening dinners or three-course Sunday matinee dinners, all this while taking a train ride in a completely refurbished vintage car. For information on the dinner train, to view the entertainment calendar, and to make your reservations, visit kansasbell.com. Here are things to know about Amtrak, our passenger rail service today. One. Amtrak long-distance trains, like the Southwest Chief, offer the sleeper car service option with choices among bedrooms, roomettes, and family rooms. For more information, visit Amtrak.com or call 800-USA-RAIL. 2. Amtrak offers express shipping services for small packages and less than truckload shipments among over 100 cities. For information specifically for shipping, including weight and size limits, port cities and more, call 800-377-6914 Monday through Friday or visit Amtrak.com slash Amtrak hyphen express hyphen shipping. Three, 
Amtrak has a mobile app that's handy for things like purchasing tickets, getting train station info, and accessing a train tracker that is great for passengers and for folks preparing to greet them. Four, Amtrak takes partnership with Lyft ride-sharing company to get you to your passenger station and back. Use the Amtrak app to access Lyft, spelled L-Y-F-T, to request a ride. First-time Lyft users may receive a discount of $5 off each of your first four Lyft rides. Use the promo code AmtrakLyft and Darlings always be safe when using rideshare services. Make sure the driver shows you their credentials and that they match the credentials sent to you through the app. We're rounding to a close of this episode. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me in visiting trains today and yesteryear. Definitely check out our sponsors. You'll find links to their websites on the A Romantic in Kansas pages of my website, A Romantic's Perspective. You will also hear their ads on REN Internet Radio, a 24-7 online oldies format radio that is based in Topeka, Kansas and available via the World Wide Web. I cordially invite you to join me for the next special feature, Seeking the Cowboys. Oh yes, there are cowboys in Kansas, even today. I'll tell you what I know about that and interview our core sponsor, Susan Barnes, proprietress of the Grand Central Hotel in the Kansas Flint Hills region. Until then, listen for the trains coming through your area, and remember, stay romantic. <laughs>